Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Shireen Thor. She is a certified professional coach, a comedian, a best-selling author, a TEDx speaker, and last but certainly not least, a mom. That is one hell of a resume you have there, Shireen. Now, because you are just coming off this huge win and it's still pretty fresh for you, I want to start off, if you're okay with this, by speaking about your journey into the world of becoming a TEDx speaker. Now that, as you know, and I'm sure this was the same for you, that is a dream for a lot of people out there is to be on and speak on that TEDx stage and be on that red dot. Was this something that was a bucket list item for you? 100% yes. Okay. And I think you're right that a lot of people think about that either as a dream or a pipe dream. I remember even being in a conversation with these real estate investors, these like, young 30-year-old guys who had so much wealth, which was incredible to me. And they said, well, what's next for you? They were asking me what I do for work. And I was explaining. And I said, honestly, I think a TEDx talk. And they made a comment about how that was a pipe dream. And I was like, wow, okay. Well, for a lot of people, being early 30s and wealthy is a pipe dream and interesting. So yes, it's been a dream for a long time. I'm sure at some point in my life, I did feel like it was a pipe dream, but slowly yeah. and surely, you know, wrapped my mind around it. And here we are. We done did it, Brad. <laughs> All right. And you were like, watch me make that shit happen. <laughs> <laughs> right? I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> Maybe a pipe dream for you boys, but watch this chick make it happen. I yeah. love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. That is awesome. Congratulations on that. I think that is a huge win and you should be very proud of yourself for that. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I really do love what a champion you are for women. And so I really take your congratulations sincerely because, you you know, it's who you are to be championing women, which is incredible and needed and unique and beautiful. So thank you for that. Congratulations. I'll take it, my friend. (laughs) I received that. And thank you very much. It's the Mutual Admiration Society here today. Literally. (laughs) I love it. So how did the opportunity come about for you to be on that TEDx stage and share your story? That's a good question. Well, I think being an entrepreneur for so long and sort of like banging my head against the wall, like learning slowly but surely the hard way that I'm really not a person who loves to hustle or be constantly marketing myself. I started to try to think of what are other ways I can get my message out there to serve and support, but in a way that feels aligned and not Mm -hmm. like misery to me. You know, and in my background, I did stand up comedy. So there's a little bit of a performer energy there. I wrote a book. There's definitely like some artist energy there. 
And so, I don't know. I think I was just like, well, you know, maybe TEDx makes sense. They have a large platform of people who are into evolving and growing and developing in the ways that I support people in doing. It's a stage. It is art meets philosophy meets inspiration meets entertainment. I was like, all right. Like, yeah, I just kind of slowly started to realize, I think that would be a beautiful next move, not only to get my message out, but to give myself another creative adventure because I find that I am the most happy and alive and inspired when I have a creative adventure that I am kind of like chasing. How did it feel for you to be there on that stage and stand on that red dot? Was it like a fuck? Yeah, I finally arrived once you accomplished (laughs) that. And I mean, obviously, it is a huge deal to do a TED talk because only a certain amount, of course, depending on the chapter where you are and all of these things, only a certain amount of people get accepted to do these things. I mean, I've heard of people applying six, seven, eight times and not getting a talk. So Mm -hmm. how did that feel? You know, it was incredible. It was. (laughs) It was, it was, it is interesting because it is like an I've arrived feeling, not because by any means I'm dumb enough to think I actually have, because (laughs) (laughs) like I know that this is my life's purpose and I'll just continue doing what I do. But there is an element of when you do TEDx, now people believe you. Mm-hmm. And now people trust you and now people listen in a way that they maybe haven't before. It helps bolster that no like, and trust. It's credibility. Exactly. And I think that that's what it was. It's like, and I know you watched the talk, so you know yeah. that I was expected to do a very left brain career by my immigrant parents, yes. you know, could have, should have, would have been a doctor, lawyer, engineer, wasn't ever going to be those things felt like a black sheep and a disappointment. And I think for me, standing on a TEDx stage felt like, look, mama, I finally made it. (laughs) (laughs) And has your mom watched it? And what has she said? That's such a cool question. She has watched it many a time. And she says that every time she watches it, she catches something that she didn't before. And (laughs) She is just hair blown back, blown away by how artfully and well done it was done. And yeah, if ever there was a need for mom's validation, I definitely at this point have gotten it. Awesome. Well, you deserve it. You deserve it. That's good. I'm so proud of you. I think that's amazing. And mama's proud of you. So there you go. There you go. (laughs) Your TEDx talk was called The Intelligence of Being Irrational. Can you share a little bit about that concept? You know, I think I will probably do one or two more talks. And, you know, this one was really more about fulfilling your purpose. And the next one will be probably closely based on my book about, you know, helping women break the rules to fulfill their purpose. And then the third one will be about how to find your soulmate. And in all of them, the thread is learning to understand, tune into, and listen to the language of your soul. Okay. So this idea of the intelligence of being irrational is to help people get out of their heads, to get out of the expectations that their family, their friends, society, culture puts on them, and to tune inward to what their inner knowing is, right? Like I knew I wasn't meant to be a doctor, lawyer, or an engineer, even though those were the external expectations placed upon me. I might have felt guilty about that, naughty about that, bad about that, but I knew just wasn't who I was. I was meant to be a creative type. 
I was always philosophical. I was always an artist, a weirdo, an out-of-the-box thinker. I was meant to stand on a stage and say words to a group of people to support them in thinking differently about what they are capable of. I didn't know why I knew that, but I knew that. And so I think this first talk is really an invitation to anyone who watches it to begin to communicate with themselves differently, to begin to listen to themselves differently, to begin to honor their own irrational mm -hmm. impulses that other people might disapprove of, but they know to be true just because they know them to be true. Well, I'm going to post the link for your talk in the show notes, of course, when I publish your episodes, so all the people can check it out and support you and like and share and comment just to get those views up and to let them hear because I think this topic is incredibly important because all of these things, the parental, the societal, all this conditioning and the patriarchy and all the bullshit that comes yeah. up, they do. They they put us in, it, it puts us into a box where we believe that this is the way we're supposed to be. This is the yeah. way life is supposed to be. And it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that through what the world has gone through over the past few years, as well as talks like yours, where people are coming out and saying and sharing that, you know what, fuck that life doesn't have to be like this. You can blaze your own trail. You can carve your own path and go the route that you want to go and do yeah. what makes you happy. You don't have to listen to the to the conditioning and go that mm -hmm. route. You don't have to get married, have the kid, buy the house, all of that shit, get the nine to five job and be miserable. You, <laughs> right? can, you can do whatever the hell you want in life. Yeah. It's Preach. important. Brad, preach. Hell that was a, yeah. That was a beautiful TED talk right there. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we've just got to get my application in. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, as you mentioned, I, I've watched your TED talk and I know because I've seen it and you and I have also spoken a few times and had previous conversations that your talk does tie back to your story of following all the rules of parental yeah. and societal conditioning, as we just said, and people pleasing among other things. Now you broke out of all of that eventually, as you put it, awakened the rebel inside or the rebel was born. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about your story with us? Totally. Yeah. So, you know, we've touched on it, right? Expected yep. to be the doctor, lawyer, engineer by the incredible parents, but also yeah parents who tend to offer that one type of love, which is conditional. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew I needed to follow those conditions to gain approval or I would be in the doghouse. And so I tried, you know, I tried to be the rule following people pleasing good girl who would get the approval. Um, when I went to college, I would have loved to major in philosophy or dance or just something that would have lit me up. Yeah. And I knew that would disappoint my parents. So I settled for communications. I figured that wasn't as boring as like engineering, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I am interested in people. All right. I'll just go middle of the road and we'll do this kind of more normal thing. So I did that, graduated, got my first job and was very quickly sexually harassed, like oh, three geez. months into that job, which of course, if you watch the talk, I'll tell you all the yes. dirty details of that. Yes. Um, and what was interesting was I feel like that was... That was a moment in my life where I, well, first of all, the patriarchy like punched me in the face, right? Like yeah. I had no idea <laughs> what I was getting into, <laughs> what I was going into the workforce, right? Um, but second of all, I chose to stay. So I told my boss and, you know, he was very upset and he told his boss and he was very upset. So the two people right above me understood that this was wrong and that action needed to be taken. 
then the two of them went to the CEO and the CEO just called me into the meeting with the three of them and basically said, but he was just joking, right? We need to still work with him, right? Fuck. I know. And I'm just this like, you know, early twenties kid who just has been so conditioned for so long to nod and play nice and not make a fuss that I just said, literally holding tears back. Yes. Knowing that what I really wanted to say was no, no, I can't still work with him. And he was not joking. Like, dude, are you kidding me? No. But I, I, at that point, my conditioning was so locked in that I just subdued my voice as I likely had many times up to that point and lived in misery for the next year and a half while I stayed at that job, feeling like they were okay with me being treated poorly and I wasn't ballsy enough to stand up for myself. You know, I had people telling me that I like, I shouldn't leave, you know, to look bad on your resume, all this kind of stuff. So I was a freaking miserable 24 year old young woman. And, you know, luckily I did have a friend who nagged me to go to a personal development seminar. And at that seminar was when I started to really see like, oh, it actually, it's making so much sense why I'm miserable at such a young age. I not only am in a toxic situation that I am like passively complying with by virtue of not, you know, revolting, but also I've deferred all my life's choices to make my parents happy instead of making myself happy. Of course I'm freaking miserable, right? So I started to get acquainted with, I have a choice. I don't have to be compliant. I don't have to be a good girl. I don't have to live by everyone else's rules. I'm only 24. I'm already seeing how miserable I am as a result of following these other people's rules. So, you know, let me disrupt my own people-pleasing patterns. Let me go crazy and do something different. And so I quit a master's degree and I started doing stand-up comedy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Stand up comedy of all things. I'm going to quit university. <laughs> right. Stand up comedy. What the what? Out of left field. Holy exactly. shit. Exactly. You know, and it's funny, right? It's so out of left field. However, if you know the inner workings of my little weird mind, I had been creeping on comedians for years. Okay. I had been dreaming of doing stand up comedy for years. I watched my friends start doing comedy, watched him ascend into like playing really cool shows at really cool venues. I wanted it for a long time and continually talked myself out of it because it didn't make sense. I would look stupid. It would be too crazy. Like who the heck do I think I am? All that. So I think this, you know, that personal development summer, I was like an intervention and I'm so grateful it came so early because I, it really disrupted the hell out of the patterns and, and like, processes I was running in my mind that were making me miserable and set me free to like, go be the crazy, irrational, wild girl that I was meant to be, you know, (laughs) and get up on a stand-up comedy stage and do that. So that was like the beginning of me kind of breaking the good girl patterns, honoring my little rebel within, and then embarking upon that thing where I start to learn how to listen to my soul instead of listen to what other people want for me. And that was the almost the beginning of the rest of my life, you know? Wow. That is fucking powerful. I love it. So how long then were you a stand-up comedian and how did all that play out for you? How did that journey go for you? Because obviously we know you're not doing stand-up comedy anymore. So how did that journey play out for you? Am I not funny enough for you, Brad? Is that what's You are here? funny <laughs> as hell. 
<laughs> I love talking to you. I do. I truly do. We have conversations every now and then. I love chatting with you. It's always that we always make each other laugh. That is true. You're pretty funny and you cook a lot, which I really enjoy. <laughs> so yeah, so I did comedy for two years and I did okay. it really hard. I probably got up two to three times a week at any comedy club that would have me. I even like hopped in an RV and went to different comedy clubs like Seattle, Boston, Colorado. Wow. Like I was really just having the time of my life. And at the same time that I did comedy for two years, I continued to get coached. So I was sort of continually drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, going to the retreats and jumping off the ropes courses, like having my own inner transformation continue. And by the end of the two-year mark, it just looked like comedy was about to soar. I I literally got scouted by an MTV dude who came up to me after a show at the Hollywood Improv and he asked me to come in for auditions. I started going in for auditions at VH1 and E to be a talking head, to be a VJ, all the things. But man, at that point, I had spent two years learning to listen to my heart, you know, learning to Mm -hmm. listen to my soul. And as much as comedy looked like it was going somewhere, it energetically started to fall flat for me. Meaning like one of the ways you listen to your soul is by following that life force energy when something lights you up. Yeah, and, and comedy just didn't light me up anymore. I was like, it was fun. I loved it for a long time. But I'm now seeing that maybe it was just the disruption, right? That honor, that irrational impulse I needed to honor to finally say yes to myself and break out of my people-pleasing patterns. But man, that transformation I got from coaching of going from who other people wanted me to be to who I actually was, right? Like standing in my truth, in my power, pulling off the mask, being the real, honest, vulnerable version of myself, that experience gave me more energy, more joy, more connection, more health, more vitality than anything. And so I was just like obsessed with coaching. I was like, wow. this, this thing that I just got, this beautiful gift of like life and soul and energy and joy that I got from being coached. I just want to pay that forward and do it for the rest of my life. And I've literally been coaching for like 16 years ever since. It's just been. Love it. So you're just like, yeah, okay. I I did the thing. I wanted to do this. I set out and I finally got off my ass and broke out of that condition. And I did what I wanted to do. Been there, done that. Okay, now it's time to move on. I've I've fulfilled that need to get on stage and be a stand-up comic, even though you could have gone who knows where with it. Know, it just right? wasn't fulfilling <laughs> yeah. your soul anymore. That's right. Yeah. And you have to listen to those signs, right? You have to listen to those voices. That is so true. I remember having a conversation with this comedian who's actually very successful. And I asked him, I was like, I'm feeling like I don't care if I make people laugh anymore. Like I'm, I was having this like comedy existential crisis. Like, it, like, what do I do? Should I quit comedy? And he looked at me in the face and he goes, oh, that means you're about to get really good. Like you should, <laughs> you should dig in and you should stick with comedy because that means you're going to get really funny. And I was like, he might be right that yeah. I could be funny, right? And make yeah. other people laugh. But at that point I was like, I'm now no longer interested in living my life for other people mm-hmm. anymore. I want to feel happy. I want to feel alive. I want to feel intrinsic joy and motivation from what I do. Because, you know, one thing I talk to people about every freaking day when I'm coaching clients all around the world is that you don't just want to get compensated monetarily. You want to get compensated energetically. 
Yes. That is where you have a sustainable model of living and you're not actually buying into what I can't even remember the woman, but she calls it the prostitute archetype where, where you are selling not necessarily your body, but you're selling your energy or your your service for a paycheck, but you're selling it like you're not plugged in. You're not yeah. into it. It's not actually what you are meant to do. It's, it's just not authentic. There's no authenticity there. Exactly. It's not fulfilling your dharma, your purpose, your soul's mission. No, you're just exchanging your energy for a paycheck. And so, yeah, I didn't want to do that. I was like, no, I, I actually really want to feel happy in my life, alive in my life. I want all that good juju and all that good energy. I don't want to be like a miserable, successful comedian. No, yeah, like, yeah. I want to be a really happy, successful coach or or just whatever, right? And yeah. And, and the art has still been there. Like that whole thing about creative adventures is real. Like comedy was my first creative adventure. I would say over the 16 years of coaching, my second creative adventure was building my brand. So if you go look at my website, it's very artfully done. I'm very proud of it. It's all very exciting. My yeah. third creative adventure was writing my book. I'm so freaking proud of that book. I literally felt like I couldn't die in this lifetime without writing that book. My yeah. soul is satiated that I wrote that book. And my fourth creative adventure was the TEDx talk. So, you know. Many more creative adventures to come. Yeah, that's right. I love it. Yeah, you gotta you gotta do what sets your soul on fire. If you're just doing it just because and just for a paycheck, that's that's like a nine to five thing. It's just like, yeah, I'm here, but you know, it it doesn't light me up. It doesn't set my soul on fire. It doesn't make my soul sing. That's the way I look at you gotta do what makes your soul sing. That's in my opinion. A hundred percent agree. And so how have all of these experiences and finally saying yes to Shireen and awakening your inner rebel, awakening your inner rebel, helped shape the Shireen you are today, both personally and professionally? Hmm. Gosh, that's a great question. You know, I mean, I feel like if we look at it like the fork in the road, right? Like let's pretend as a miserable 24-year-old, there was two options. I was either going to disrupt and do the comedy coaching road, which is the one I actually took, or I could have stayed the course. I could have been like, well, that was a cool seminar. Thank you. But that's a little (laughs) wild. I'm just going to keep on keeping on. Yeah. Honestly, like I feel like the easiest way to answer your question is to say that if I would have continued down the old path, I would have continued to be a shell of myself. I never would have felt alive or happy or fulfilled. I wouldn't have felt respected in my work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have felt like I had respect for myself. I would have probably felt very helpless and hopeless, like nobody's in my corner and nobody sticks up for me. And I'm saying this because I think there's a lot of people in the world who feel like this today. You know, I was just going to say that there's a, a lot, lot of people who who do that. Who they're like zombies. You're just going to the place. You're living. I I always compare it to because I went through it too. I worked in corporate for twelve and a half years, and for the last six, it was absolute hell. And it was like mm. I was living. For the weekend, I was pissing yeah. away five days a week. And that's a horrible thought. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. And in that road, right, where you're mm. pissing away the five days and living for the weekend or in my road where I'm just feeling like depressed and nobody's in my corner, literal mental health issues, right? You have depression, yeah. you have anxiety. I mean, the, the misery drains the life out of you legitimately. And actually, that's why in the TED Talk, I shared those stats, specifically There's 120,000 preventable 
deaths a year due to work-related stress in America. The reason I'm sharing that is because I'm trying to tell people, if you make choices today that drain you of life force energy, and if you make choices tomorrow that drain you of life force energy, that will end in a sad, bad life where you are drained so much that by the end of it, your light goes out early. Like you're done. You know what I mean? Like you don't yeah. have an infinite amount of nope. life force energy. You need to make choices that give you life. And so to answer your question, I think one of the biggest ways that it influenced my life personally and professionally to go the route that I did was that I avoided misery and yeah. I avoided depression. And I now feel like a woman, I'm in my own damn corner. I don't freaking need anybody to do it for me. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. try to fucking disrespect me now. Give me some of that. <laughs> do, you, do, you ever, do you ever think back to what if the Shireen of today were back there at the 24-year-old Shireen spot and that whole situation happened at your job? How would you deal with it now? <laughs> that, is an, that is an awesome question because I haven't even thought about that, but let's play. Yeah. Gosh, you know, I feel like if I could go back to that moment, but be this version of myself, I would maybe have actually cried in the meeting. Instead of holding the tears back and feeling embarrassed about my emotion and being compliant, I probably would have just cried. And I probably would have said, like, I don't think I can work with someone who thinks it's okay to disrespect me like that. I mean, he literally walked into my office, closed the door behind him and hovered over my desk and said, if you don't lose your attitude, I'm going to bend you over this desk and spank you. Jesus. Like, no, bro. Like, I can't work with you. I can't come to work every day and feel like this psycho is trying to put me in my place or intimidate me or bully me. No, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't do that. So if that means I'm going to lose my job, then maybe you need to let me go because I am not willing to stand by and let that, I just can't let that go. And we, you know, who knows? Maybe he would have been like, oh shit, okay, she's not fucking around. I got to do something about this. Yeah. Or, I mean, it's funny, since then I've thought about it and I'm like, I literally could have sued them. Like I yeah. could have fully sued them for sexual harassment. That didn't even occur to me at the time. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about, oh, this was so wrong, they wronged me. Yeah. I was just so worried about not being the girl who blew the whistle or cried wolf or looked bad. You know, I yeah. was just like, yeah. And that's absolutely horrible because I'm sure there are a lot of women out there who have dealt with a very similar situation and have felt exactly that way that yeah. I've just got to go along with this. I can't, I can't have my, I can't speak out against, against this. This is, yeah. this is what I need to do. I just need to suck it up and deal with it. And I think that's fucking horrible that Ugh. any woman should feel that way. So I want to take it a step further and ask you, do you think you would have in that moment when he said that, do you think you would have dealt with him in particular, not even taking the meeting into account, account but mm. when it happened, would you have said anything? Like, would you have spoke so, up, do you think, and said, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? Well, that is what I did. When it actually happened in real life, and he walked into my office, closed the door behind him, and said, you know, I'm going to bend you over this desk and spank you. I just looked at him and I said, no, you're not. You're going to turn around and you're going to walk out of my office. Like, get out of here. So yeah. I did talk shit to him, like, in the moment. But that's the thing. And I think that's why this, like, transformation with coaching was so incredible. It was like, I was used to being tough. And I was used to being cool and I was used to being well-liked and I was used to being the good girl, the easygoing person. 
I wasn't used to crying in front of anybody. I wasn't right. used to being okay with my own emotions. And I think that that is really the shift that occurred was it was like, oh, I don't need to just like play a role or play a part or like be what I think is acceptable to others. Like I get to be a full human, yeah. a whole human who also gets sad and also feels vulnerable and also does need people to protect her sometimes. You know what I mean? Like it was like yeah. this almost feminine side I got in touch with. Cause yep. like, if you really go back into my history, it's not pretty. Like my dad was physically abusive towards my mom. And I saw my mom struggle as a single immigrant mother in this country that she'd immigrated to at the age of 26, raising two kids of her own, like literally battered by her husband. It was a rough situation. Yeah. So I was tough. I was so freaking tough that even my mom wouldn't, have to take too much care of me. You know what I mean? Yep. I early on was like so very much tuned in to I got to take up no space because there isn't a lot of extra energy, resources, time, money for me. My yeah. mom is tired. She's tapped. She's got a lot on her plate. She's been through a lot. Yep. You know, I have this older sister just doing all her stuff. I better just shut up and keep it easy. And so that was like my, you know, modus operandi. And I just always was trying to shut up and keep it easy. Be the cool chick that never needed anything from anybody. And when I shut came, down. Yeah. So shut down. Exactly. Yeah. So what is one piece of advice or guidance that you could give to someone, our listeners, who is trapped in, say, that parental, societal, people-pleasing loop of how to awaken or birth their inner rebel, as you say, and break out of that cycle? Yeah, I would say break the rules, man. You have to. You have to break the rules. And the way you're going to be able to break the rules is by beginning to be comfortable with disapproval from others. Okay. Let it be okay that you do not get the stamp of approval on all of your life's choices. Let it be okay that your mom thinks you're rude for not wanting to go visit your aunt's house who you know always makes you feel disrespected and, and shitty. Let it be okay that you don't go hang out with the draining friend. Let it be okay that you quit the soul-sucking job and go after something else that gives you more life. Like basically just begin to be more comfortable with disapproval from others rather than your own misery. Like if you prioritize your happiness over needing approval from others, everything's going to be all right. <laughs> Beautifully said. Thank you very much for sharing that. I love that. So what was the biggest or most valuable takeaway or lesson for you from your experiences, would you say, or one of the biggest? That's a great question. I mean, I think honestly, just the truth that everyone has a purpose. Mm-hmm you know, and it's worth fighting for. And if you don't fight for it, it'll nag at you for your entire life. And no one else is going to do it for you. That's right. No one else is going to do it for you. And then you'll be at risk of another lovely little piece of information I shared in that talk, <laughs> which is the number one regret of the dying. Yeah. That, you know, there's a woman named Bronnie Ware and she was a hospice nurse. She wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying because she had the gift of being able to hear what people thought and felt when they were on their way out of this planet. And the top regret of the dying is I wish I would have had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the one others expected of me. And so, yeah, I think the biggest gift of my whole journey and the whole shenanigans is just everyone listening to this podcast, you have a purpose and it is worth fighting for. And if you don't fight for it, it will haunt you. <laughs> 
Yeah, true. Well, it's true. I mean, you'll you'll end up stuck in corporate or a job that you've whatever it is that you hate going to and wake up every morning miserable and again living for those two little days out of seven and and wasting five and yeah and then you like you said on your deathbed you're like shit i should have done what i wanted to do instead of listening to what everybody else wanted me to do mm-hmm. yeah it's important because and there's so many people out there who never invest the energy or time to find or to discover what lights them up or what makes them happy they just settle for the status quo and go along with that and that it's a horrible existence it truly is yeah it makes me sad to think about all the people that do that it really does i was one of those people we've all done it yeah and it's horribly sad 100 percent agree it is i want to speak a little bit about your coaching now you've been coaching you said for 16 years right no oh my gosh i'm an old lady (laughs) that's ridiculous so what is it that sets you and the work you do apart from other coaches why would someone choose to work with you over someone else Oh, that's a good question. You know, that's such a good question. And and it sort of incorporates the energy of the entire industry of coaching. So so one thing I'll say, like a problem I have with the industry of coaching is that it can become like a bad gambling habit. And I'm saying this from experience. Like when I embarked upon my sole purpose-driven entrepreneurial journey, it was really easy to overpay coaches who under delivered and think they were going to save me from like really not knowing what I was doing, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would say one of the things that sets me apart from other coaches is that I don't want your money unless I'm going to change your life. Like I don't, I don't want your money unless I'm going to change your life. That's refreshing. Right. And when I change your life, because I will, I'm a catalyzing motherfucker. um, (laughs) I love that self-proclamation. That's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I will be just like just as grateful to the clients as they likely are to me because they are getting that gift, right? Of pivoting their entire life. Same way I pivoted my entire life when I decided to do comedy and go down a purpose-driven road. Like that's what I want to give people when I coach with them. I usually sign people up for one full year because I know it takes time to take all the action necessary and percolate and go through the the healing milestones. It's not like a quick fix over here, yeah. but you know, my intention is to help someone pivot that whatever direction their life is going in before they met me, that they're not in love with, that it will actually be changed by the time we are done with our work together. And yes, it's a gift to them, but it's an incredible gift to me. Like I am so grateful for the opportunity to support people in tuning more deeply into their soul's higher calling and helping them get on the correct path so that they feel alive inside. That gives me life force energy every freaking day. You know, it makes me feel on purpose. It makes me feel in gratitude. It makes me feel really emotional, which normally I would think like, I don't want to be emotional, but the truth is that's been my journey, right? Is like reconnecting to my heart and reconnecting to my humanity and not selling parts of myself off, right? Letting go of my dignity to be the compliant good girl and stay at that job. Oh, hell no. Fuck yeah. that shit. Let me hold on to my <laughs> dignity and yeah. let me be the fullness of myself, right? And I'm just so grateful every day that I get to do this work. It's just as much a gift to me as it is to them. And I think, yeah, I think that perspective I is what makes me 
different. It's funny because I've spoken with quite a few women lately and a lot of them I've noticed have said they're in the coaching industry as well. And they do not, and they refuse to use the word coach. They don't like the word coach because of all the negativity that's been associated with the coaching industry over the last while with all of these, I can fix your problems, just pay me $10,000 and I'll turn you into a six figure coach and all the fake bullshit that's going on in the industry. It's hard to tune out all that noise. Yeah. So they don't, they would rather not use the word coach. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. And I think that's why I've done the book and I've done the TEDx. It's like, I've just seen how much it's like, I want to get my message out in a way that's real and authentic. I don't want to drown into the noise of this industry because there is a lot, like you and I talked about not liking hustle culture. There is a lot of that energy in the coaching industry, right? right? Go, 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 move, 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 sell, sell, sell take, take, take. It's gross. Like I actually just think it's gross and I don't want anything to do with it. I'm like, no, I don't want your money unless I'm going to literally change your life. If you want me to change your life, I really want your money because I know that that money is also representative of your commitment to your own change. So I'm good with that. Yeah. And I need to be compensated. Like I'm busy. Of course. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Right. But yeah, I think that's why it's been almost like critical to me to do these other things, to be able to basically share my heart, right. To say like, I'm not just here for the money, bro. I really actually believe you have a purpose. I really actually want to help you figure it out. I don't want to just be another thing you throw money at. That's close to me. Yeah, for sure. So what, in your opinion, then, is the most important quality or skill set of a coach? That's a great question. And I would say it's a combination of listening between the lines, vetting, like real talk vetting of people's bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) And then perspective, like helping someone zoom out. Because oftentimes people don't even know what the... Let me, I was going to say, people don't even know what the fuck they want. That's the wrong thing to say. They actually know exactly what they want. Yeah. In in the same way that I went to that seminar, I started to do comedy. It seemed like it was out of blue, but no, it wasn't out of blue. I have been thinking about it and dreaming about it for two years. I will literally ask someone, if you were going to honor your irrational impulse or just do some glorious act of rebellion to like totally switch up your life, what would it be? And they'll be like, I just don't even know. I can't even answer that question because I'm just so locked into my rational mind. And I'll be like, all right, don't worry about it. Let's just play. I'll throw some out and I'll throw out some options. And then they're like, actually, that's the first thing I thought. I just don't (laughs) want to say it. Yeah. Like people know what they want. They're just scared of what they want. Yeah. And so I think at least when people hire me, so I don't know that like necessarily like the most important factor or quality of every other coach, but from me, they're like borrowing my courage. I'm helping them. I'm like a cheerleader for their soul. I'm like, okay, you're saying all these words, but what I actually hear is that you really want this. And they're like, yes. And then I'm like, okay, great. What are we going to do to get that? I think sometimes there's extra noise people have. For sure. And I think it's really important for coaches to help people cut through their own noise, whether it's external or internal, right? That societal noise gets into our, the ethers of our mind and it's like in our little matrix. So cutting through the noise and then really just supporting people and taking action and changing their actual life, you know? Love it. There's a piece of marketing content for you. I'm a cheerleader for your soul. There you go. (laughs) That's perfect. I love that. You should use that in your, in your marketing. I am a soul cheerleader. I love that. That's awesome. I love it. My inner rebel hates the word cheerleader, but like knows it's true that it's really Yeah. (laughs) So what is your greatest strength as a coach, would you say? Hmm. Yeah, I think the cutting through the noise. I think helping people actually get underneath 
the mind chatter and figuring out what they truly desire in their heart that will light them up. And then just being like, all right, great. That's the action item for the week. See you next week. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Less thinking, less thinking, more action. We are a human being, right? Let's go. Let's go be what is a truer version of yourself now. Next week, take this action right now. Yeah, I'm definitely a little bit of an annoying, you know, like, I don't know if it's a nag or... (laughs) I wouldn't say a nag. Let's use the word cheerleader. (laughs) All right, let's go cheerleader. I like it. Now, you created what you call the happiness cheat sheet. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah. When I was pregnant with my first child, I was almost having like a coaching existential crisis because I was undiagnosed but had postpartum depression. And I realized I was kind of using my coaching, and I would call it at this point, toxic positivity to talk myself out of negative emotions. And then later on realized, oh, I have postpartum depression. I was trying to address a mental health issue that was chemical and physical with coaching. How inappropriate, (laughs) you know, and I actually harmed myself and I struggled for a lot longer because I kept trying to will myself into positivity. And that's when I really kind of opened up my perspective into just how hard life is, how much some things you don't have control over. And so how obnoxious of a coach to just try to say, just think positive when you're like really dealing with real shit, you know? So that opened me up to trying to truly understand what actually makes people happy. Real talk, not, oh, I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to look cool. I'm going to feel cool. No, like what truly based on science makes people feel happy and fulfilled and a higher level of well-being. And so I took the science of well-being through Yale and Uh got certified and really kind of took everything I learned there. I also got certified in positive psychology and I took, sort of fused everything I learned from those programs and created this happiness cheat sheet to support people in a very simplified, action-oriented way of understanding, hey, these are like the seven or eight things that will actually make you happier. Sleep, exercise, meditation, gratitude, acts of kindness, they're very simple, they're all free. But they will change your life and support you in honoring yourself better so that you are capable of tuning in to what you actually want. And one of the things is that when you're actually using your gifts, that leads to a higher level of happiness and well-being. And, and, And actually, the happiness cheat sheet that I created links to a kind of like strengths assessment. Okay. And if you're using four out of your top seven strengths in your life or your work, then you are more likely to feel highly engaged at work and like it's a higher calling than feeling like it's just a job. And so Mm. there is an element of your purpose, right? And your skill set and your talents that feeds into you actually feeling happy on this planet. Love it. And that's that's a free download on your website, right? Yes. We will put the link in the show notes for that as well, for all those people who, who want to feel happy. Thank you. Now, let's talk a little bit about your journey as an author. You are a best-selling author. Let's talk a bit about the book, Revolutionary Woman. Woo-hoo! What was the inspiration behind writing that book? How did that come to be? Gosh, that's such a fun question because there's like such a distinct answer. I literally... <laughs> 
pretty close to my 30th birthday. I was like a failed entrepreneur and I had just tried so hard. I tried network marketing. I tried dabbling in real estate. I tried all these things. And then I just got in too much debt and I needed to just go back to work full time. So I went back to work full time doing sales for Xerox, the dream job. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And on day four of my first week of training, I had a full night of insomnia. Now, I got to preface this by saying, I don't have trouble falling asleep, Brad. I am borderline narcoleptic, have fallen asleep <laughs> driving, okay? so Oh, like, that's not good and I, not safe. I know, exactly. It's not. And I literally once fell asleep at a Vegas slot machine. That's when I'm freaking tired, I sleep. It's just Those insane. damn casinos are noisy. I don't know how the hell you could fall asleep in a fucking casino. <laughs> exactly. Especially in the slot machine section. Jesus. Totally. So this night of insomnia was very disconcerting for my narcoleptic ass. And I was like, what is going on? And and the thought that was plaguing me that I kept repeating on a tape the entire evening of miserable lack of sleep was, what if I live an ordinary life and never become an author? Now, up until this point, I did not know I wanted to write a book. It was not like some (laughs) dream I had. It wasn't. I just was living my life, doing the things, wanted to be an entrepreneur, free girl, helping with the coaching and da-ba-da-ba-da. And then this night occurred and I was like, well, damn, I guess I need to write a book. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, shit, all right. So yeah, that was eight years before the book was published. Holy shit. So it took a while, but I think there was some lessons I needed to learn, honestly, before the book was ready to come to fruition. And I know you're going to ask me later thoughts for the peoples, but here's a thought. Sometimes you really need to give your dreams, your hopes, your desires time, right? Mm -hmm. The seed for that book was planted, but really I wasn't ready to write the book. I didn't have all the lessons I needed to learn that needed to go into the book. I hadn't healed in the ways I needed to heal in order to put that good juju energy into that book. And so eight years later, well, six years later, I did a book launch, kind of like a Kickstarter, Kickstarter for book books. It's actually called Publishizer. And so yeah, six years later, boom, did the launch. Like, okay, this stream is coming to life. I am going to do it. And then I worked on the book for the two years and then I, and then I put it out. So, and here we are. Shireen is an author, a bestselling author. Congratulations. Thank you. Out of a narcoleptic thought. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So weird. (laughs) I love it. Shireen, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Gosh, no tolerance for bullshit. All right. Right (laughs) down to it. You know, just zero. I just can't. I don't care about stupid stuff. I don't care about politics or power struggles. All I care about is deep ass shit. Yeah, maybe it's like my inner philosopher is like my superpower. It's like the part of me that has a really zoomed out perspective is the part of me that doesn't get caught up in dumb shit and is able to help other people not get caught up in dumb shit. All that is just noise. Let's focus on your purpose. Let's focus on what matters. Let's focus on your children. Let's focus on your family. Let's focus on your heart and your soul and your health. Let's focus on what fucking matters. Like I don't care about all of that other stuff. But it took you time to get there. That's Definitely for sure. took me time to get there. And you know, there's a lot of weaknesses with that too, right? Like every weakness is oftentimes just a strength overdone. So in a lot of ways, I'm not very privy to politics. I yeah. just, I can't. It's a lot of games and power struggles. It's a lot of fighting. It's a lot of divisive energy. 
it's like as much as I know that these things matter and damn, I have mad respect for like RBG being a woman lawyer who went yeah. in and actually changed the laws to affect culture and life for women. Like I know this shit matters, right? Politics matters, law matters, things that I can't, I can't play in those worlds because it's not my vibe, but I definitely have respect for them. But man, I, I just, I can't get myself to care about politics. I mean, I try, Brad, I do. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's just not in your zone. It's just it's not, not something that, that is in your immediate purview. You don't, it's just, yeah, I get it. I get it. 100%. So speaking of success, how do you define the word success? What does that word mean to you? Hmm. Well, a younger version of me would equate it to money, but now I know that's just, I don't know, an external construct. You certainly want to be able to eat and live, yep, right? Yep, like you got to yep. have money. I'm not, I'm Absolutely. not, <laughs> I'm not a, a gypsy by any means. Just like your coaching, right? You don't want to take people's money just to take it. You want to have an impact and give back to them before they pay you. Mm-hmm, exactly. So, yeah. Well, I would define success by ensuring that your actions align with your values, meaning who I actually am inside is what is expressed in this world. I really love my children and they're incredibly important to me and I'm spending time with them and therefore right. I feel good about the way I'm conducting my life. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that simple, are you spending time in ways that honor your soul, your values, your, just what you care about? I feel yeah. like, and actually that's a lot of the reason we moved. We lived in Southern California. We were in sunny Santa Monica, which by all standards of the status quo is like one of the sexiest places in the world you can live. But we were just tired and tapped of energy. And my gosh, we were just living to work, you know? Yeah. Everything came down to paying all the money to live that life. And then we decided that we wanted a higher quality of life. So yep. we packed it up and we moved to Indiana, not the sexiest state <laughs> in the country, <laughs> but we have a lot more space and yeah. we have a lot less stress and cost of living's chill. There's no traffic. It's just much more the energy of life that we wanted, you know? So it's that. It's just making choices that honor what you truly desire versus allowing yourself to just kind of like wither away. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? I do think honoring my irrational impulses, honestly. I do. Even though that's cliche, because that's the TED talk. But yeah. I do believe that that is one of the most important lessons I've learned in my entire life. And, you know, from this podcast, you know what my life was like before. Yeah. What it's like after is full of joy, inspiration, connection, honesty. And the thing is, it's not, my current life isn't just like manically happy, right? I'm a human. And so I have sad days, down days. I have, you know, times where I'm uncertain about what I'm doing with my life. Yes, even after you do a TEDx talk, you can still feel insecure. <laughs> just got to um, throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, but it's like now that I have learned to honor my irrational impulses, honor my uncomfortable emotions, honor all of me, it's just a much more healthy, graceful, full experience of life. I'm not rejecting uncomfortable parts of myself. I'm embracing all of myself. And so I think that is the biggest difference, having learned how to not only honor the irrational impulses, but just honor myself, whatever that looks like, you know? Beautiful. What does the word empowerment mean to you? 
Empowerment means to me standing in your truth. And that might look powerful and that might look vulnerable, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think it's being honest. It's like being real, being authentic versus trying to play a role. Cause you know, you see these characters who just seem so powerful and they're so on fire and it's great. Like good for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know that that's always empowerment. I don't know. I feel like true power is really accepting and standing in who you are whatever that may look like. And I think that's really inspiring. Like when I see someone, I remember I I once hired a really expensive coach and I asked her, Hey, did you ever have any moments where you just struggled? Cause I was literally getting diagnosed with health issues when I was like a newbie entrepreneur. I was hustling so hard, but not making money yet. So it was like even worse than having a job. (laughs) And I, I was like coming to her for help. I was, dude, I'm struggling. My health is breaking down. Have you ever had this kind of a moment in your journey? And I wanted her to level with me. I wanted her to tell me real talk. Yeah. I had a moment in my career where I felt that too, to like make me feel less shitty about it, you know? And she just shamed me. She was just like, you know what, Shereen, there's a difference between selling and what you're doing. So you basically just told me like, you're just not selling hard enough. Wow. And like, that's what I mean by true empowerment is honesty. Like what I wanted from her was a real dose of relating and her helping me not feel like a piece of shit for struggling as a new entrepreneur. And she couldn't give that to me. She probably sounded more powerful than I did in that moment. But I don't think that's true empowerment. I think that's, those are the moments that have defined what kind of a coach I am. Just feeling shamed by her. That's disempowerment. Oh my God. (laughs) It was like a, such a shitty moment, but it really told me like, damn, I never want to do that to anyone ever. It's just not what people fucking need. What? You're telling me to sell. I'm telling you I'm getting diagnosed with physical health issues and you're just going, telling me to go sell. Fuck you. Yeah. That's an (laughs) expensive lesson. Yeah, I was. For sure. But <laughs> but you learned from it and you took it away and you've used it to help your coaching business and know yeah. that that's not what I want to do. Exactly. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word answer type thing, okay? Okay. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Be yourself. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? Proceed with caution. She's far too honest. <laughs> <laughs> What never fails to make you laugh? Physical comedy. Watching someone fall on their ass. (laughs) (laughs) If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Authenticity. How would you describe yourself in one word? Dynamic. What is your favorite self-care practice? Massage or energy healing. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What would you say is one of your biggest failures or life lessons or teachable moments? And what did you learn from it? I mean, I think when I went broke as a newbie entrepreneur, that was a big learning lesson for me. It was like realizing there has to be balance between heart and head. There has to be logic, even in honoring your irrational impulses. Like you still, you know, like we said earlier, you got to eat, you got to live. Yeah. So kind of learning, like, how do I honor my purpose and my path and my dharma and my heart and my soul and all the feely things while still honoring my physical needs for safety, security, and sustenance? And, and I think that balanced approach is what has sort of defined me as a coach. Beautiful. Love it. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? Probably my mom. <laughs> Mama. 
Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, she's the original rebel, right? Like she is the daughter of a very well-renowned preacher in Egypt. He was almost like the Pope of the Presbyterian Church and he flew all over and would speak in Canada and the United States. He was a big deal. And she rebelled against him by immigrating to America. He did not want her to leave. And then she rebelled again when she got a divorce from her physically abusive husband. It's very mm. taboo in Egypt to get a divorce. And, right. But she understood she had to protect herself and her children. And so she broke that rule too. So I think in a lot of ways, I've seen my mother be a rebel to follow her own dharma, right? With her father, yeah. be a rebel and upset the status quo by getting a divorce, but it being the right choice for her healthy, to keep her family healthy. She is an incredibly strong and resilient person. And I think being raised by her really informed a lot of who I have become. Beautiful. The rebel has been passed down. Yes. <laughs> the, the torch has been passed. I love it. <laughs> I know. And it's funny because she's the rule enforcer yeah. and the rebel, right? She's the one I had to rebel against. It is yep. all full circle. Sorry, mom. Karma. <laughs> <laughs> what aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? I think humor, actually. I yeah. Think humor. Yeah. When I abandoned comedy, I was very confused by that. But eventually I realized humor is levity is transcendence, right? So there's an energy in comedy that zooms out and you're looking at life from a larger perspective. And if you can laugh at it, then you can heal through it. And I, and I do think, I mean, that's definitely been something a lot of my clients have reflected is that they are grateful that the process of health, healing, transformation you know, willing yourself into a new way of life has been fun with me. Yeah. You know? Beautiful. Well, they say laughter is the greatest medicine. That is right. There we go. What is something surprising you've learned about yourself in the last year? You know, I'm very introverted. I think more and more I realize I'm just an actual introvert. I love people and I love to connect with them. And I I think like all of my work, right, is like every time yeah. I talk to somebody, I help them change their life or every time I speak or like whatever. But I think a lot of creative types are actually quite introverted, right? They need to be like the mad scientist in the lab with the pen and the pad. 100% agree. Yep. Yeah. So I feel like more and more as I've gotten older, I've, I've learned if I don't honor my introvert, I, d I don't do well. I actually struggle in life because I'm not refilling my tank. Very interesting. I like that. In the last two years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Oh, prayer and spirituality, 100%. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Does she have to be alive? Nope. Maya Angelou, baby. <laughs> and why? Gosh, she has always just been such an inspiration to me. I actually named my daughter Maya after her. Ah, there we go. Yeah, she's just, I don't know, you know, she's a poet. She's an artist. She's a philosopher. She, she challenges people. But, like, her way is vulnerable and sweet. You know what I mean? She's not yeah. always. And that's that, like, kind of speaks to how I answered your question about what does empowerment mean to you. I mean, I think yeah. I see Maya Angelou and I'm like, what an honest, credible beautiful, powerful woman because she, when she speaks, she is speaking love into the world, right? Yeah. She, she's speaking honesty into the world. She is speaking justice into the world. 
she doesn't always do it in a way where she's looking all badass and powerful. It might be yeah. a very vulnerable poem, but my God, does she make her impact? And that just is incredible. Love it. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? <laughs> Rebel faster. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, you did it when it was meant to happen. So the main thing is, is that you did it. And that's all that matters. Thank you. Lastly, Shireen, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? I would say you are a treasure. You are perfect exactly as you are. You don't need to be more than you are to be worthy. Your worthy is inherent. And it is your job to protect the incredible treasure that you are, please do so and honor your purpose. Beautifully said. Wonderful way to end the interview. Shireen, this has been so much fucking fun and I knew it would be amazing. I knew that the conversation would be beautiful and flowing and inspirational and lots of laughs. So thank you so very much for taking and making the time to be here with me today and to share your wisdom and knowledge and your journey as we go through this thing called life, it's been an absolute blast and inspiration chatting with you. And I'm grateful to have you as part of my life and to be able to call you a friend and to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. So thank you for shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world and doing all that you do. Ah, thank you, Brad. I appreciate you. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Shireen Thor. She is a certified professional coach, a comedian, a best-selling author, a TEDx speaker, and last but certainly not least, a mama. Thank you so much, Shireen. I appreciate you. Have an amazing rest of the day. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.